Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. I didn't come to teach a lesson. I came to preach and holler and raise my voice. Hallelujah. And we're going to do it tonight. God's going to do it tonight. I'm just honored to be here. I want to go in a direction because I am family, and uh, uh, I, this is uh, for this house and for the leaders that are in this place tonight. I want you to go with me to the book of, uh, let me start here. Let's see where I want to go first. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture that are summary, uh, that is a summary of where uh, I want to go tonight. And then I'm going to do something. I'm going to preach from Matthew 8, uh, and I'm going to preach from Mark chapter 6. So I'm going to, I'm going to start, I'm going to start uh, in Matthew 4, and then I'm going to go to Mark 6 which is a part of the scripture, and then I'm going to go to Matthew 8, which is the other part. And if you will follow me, sometimes it's challenging when you get into the Gospels to make a synoptic chronology out of it all. You have to mix several Gospels and know where you're reading in the particular passage to get the appropriate chronology. But this verse in Matthew chapter 4 is a beautiful summary of the assignment on uh, my life tonight for this house and everyone in it. I want to preach a message tonight called the Capernaum Culture. Look at your neighbor, tell them, I don't know what that means, but I'm getting ready to find out. The Capernaum culture. There is a particular kind of culture God is looking for when he comes to do his thing on earth. I don't know about you, but I want to have the kind of culture that God likes coming to. Let me say it this way. I want to live in the kind of atmosphere God enjoys coming to. Look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Look over at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you look 10 pounds lighter tonight than you did last time I saw you. Come on. You just look good tonight. I know it's Sunday night. Some of you are tired. Some of us, whatever it is, you just look wonderful. And I believe you're in the house positioned for another level. How many know you're positioned for another level? How many are expecting God to do something that's going to not just blow your mind, but change the trajectory of your life? Why don't you tell that same neighbor, neighbor, I prophesy over you the best is still yet to come in your life. Come on. Oh. Lord, I feel it breaking up already. I want you to declare to your other neighbor right now, I decree over you the best is still yet to come. The best is still yet to come. Come on and give God praise if you can believe that for your own life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The best is still yet to come. Matthew chapter 4. Now I'm going to need you, I'm going to expect you to follow me here by putting your finger on Mark 6 and Matthew 8. But for the sake of time and, and conserving uh, my voice, I'm going to read this one passage that is going to break down and synthesize these two places and you'll get where I'm going, I think, in a moment. Let's read verse 13 of the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel and it reads thus, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, 
The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Reach over and tell your neighbor, we're building a Capernaum culture. Father, help me tonight to preach and to teach with clarity, unction, precision, and power. I pray tonight that you would crown this house and bless this place with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. I'm asking you to send the Holy Ghost to breathe upon the coals that are on the altar of our heart. Somebody, Lord, their fire is waning and it's just a flicker, but before we leave this room tonight, a blazing inferno is getting ready to explode in this house. Hallelujah. I thank you for the fire of the Holy Spirit. It is not just a flickering flame, but it is a fire that cannot be consumed and Jesus said you said in your word Lord that you wish the whole world was already set on fire set it on fire tonight get the glory and the honor in Jesus name we pray Lord put a flame on top of every person in the room tonight set every heart on fire tonight I pray tonight that the wet wood in this house would get so hot again that that heart would begin to burn and that pulse would return and the spirit Spirit of God would begin to ignite the bride in the name of Jesus. We praise you for it and we thank you in advance. Come on and clap those hands and give God praise all over the room. Come on. Come on and clap those hands and give God praise all over this room tonight. Come on and clap those hands. Your family, your family is going to catch on fire. Your marriage is going to catch on fire. Your ministry is going to catch on fire. The devil tried to blow out the flame, but the devil is a liar. I wish somebody would shout because you believe greater is he that is in you than the one that is in this world. We praise you tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Uh, tonight, I, I let me teach for a moment if I can. Let me ease into this message and talk about culture. Culture, everybody say Culture. I visit a lot of places. God has afforded me the opportunity and the honor of going to a lot of places to speak and to preach the word of the Lord, and I am thankful and humbled every time God opens another door. Chris and I and uh, others who've traveled with me to a lesser extent, we have been all over the world and seen the goodness of God in very different places, in very different ways, with very, very different people who do church very differently. I'm thankful that no matter how different the expression is, the same spirit is the spirit that is working in every place where Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter if you have uh, concrete floors and you have wood slat walls and you have ceilings and roofs. Some places I preach, there have been no roofs. Some places I have preached with microphones. Some places I have preached with megaphones. Wherever you preach, however you preach, whatever kind of church they have, if Jesus is Lord, it is the same spirit moving in every house. But I do want to talk for a moment tonight about the differentiation that exists in different places because I have discovered that our God is a God who likes things a certain way. God gets to choose the house he goes to. God gets to select the places he manifests his glory in his presence. There are some people who have an entitlement attitude as it regards the manifest presence of God. And I want you to understand that you cannot boss God around. 
You will not intimidate him with a spirit of entitlement. God gets to decide the kind of houses he goes to. There are houses I like going to, and there are some places I don't like to go. Just like we have preferences and places we like to go. I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of food you like, but if you look at me, you know I enjoy food. One of the foods I enjoy most is Mexican. I believe Mexican will be served at the marriage supper somehow. I don't understand how. I don't know when. I know we'll take communion, but somewhere God got some chips and queso. You know he does. I, 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 I like particular kinds of places. You like particular kinds of places. And sometimes we think God is obliged and obligated to go to places who don't, who don't, uh, or don't reverence him the appropriate way. I want you to know God doesn't have to manifest his glory. God doesn't have to show up. He sent his son once and for all to die for the sins of the whole world. He doesn't have to do another thing, but there are places God really does enjoy going and manifesting his presence. I don't just want to go to church and experience the omnipresence of God based on the fact that we know God is in all places, in all spaces, at all times. There is a, there is a revelation of the omnipresence of God, and you can go to the Piggly Wiggly, and God is in the Piggly Wiggly. You can go to the Walmart, and God is in the Walmart. While you're pumping your gas at your gas station, God is at the gas station. While you're asleep tonight, God is already in tomorrow waiting on you to get there. How many know the omnipresence of God is a reality? It's a theological reality. You are never waiting on God. God is in all places at all times. But there is a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. There is a difference between the generalized presence of God and the localized presence of God. There is something different when you walk into a room where the God of heaven has invaded that place. I do not just want to pastor a church. We talk about this all the time at RTTN. I do not just want to pastor a church and be satisfied with an omnipresence expression of the goodness of God, but I want the souls of men to know the reality of the power, the presence, the love, the grace of God, where you walk into a room and even if you don't know how to articulate it, you say, God is here. And I have found that in order for God to manifest his presence, you got to do more than just show up. Because some people show up with an attitude that is actually repulsive and rejects the presence of God. And yet they come to the house of God as if they did God a favor. And what I want to say is God doesn't owe me anything. He is not obligated or obliged to anything. If I want him to manifest his presence, I need to stop coming to church on my terms and find out what attracts him on his terms. Y'all not talking to me. When I come to church, I don't want to just come to church and do church my way. Because if I leave and I'm happy but God never showed up. It wasn't church anyhow. I want to come to church and be in the kind of place where sick people get healed and hopeless people get filled and lost people get found. Anybody want to go to a church where the manifest presence of God can be found? I have discovered that if you want God to manifest his presence in the house, you have to create a particular kind of culture. I don't want to me, uh, sound formalistic. I'm not trying to create some kind of form out of what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not even sure I have three or four points that make this, uh, whole, this whole thing happen. I just want to tell you from the text that the, the Bible is clear about what kind of attitude God likes in the house. And the Bible says here in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter, the 13th verse, it says it in the simplest of terms. And we almost read over this, but, but I can't read over this because I've read the balance of the gospels and I recognize what is happening in this text. It says very simply that he left Nazareth and came to dwell in Capernaum. That bothers me. 
It bothers me because Nazareth is his hometown and yet he does not feel the freedom to stay in his hometown. He has to go to another place. And, and, and I want to talk about the culture of our churches tonight. Because you and I have created a culture in our church, one that either rejects him or one that invites him. And if you are part of the Nazareth culture, I need to talk to you tonight because you don't want to keep living like that. And if you are part of the Capernaum culture, I want to tell you to hang on because he's getting ready to manifest himself in a powerful way. Let me talk like this. So the Bible is clear that, that when he comes to Nazareth, and I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to open it Mark 6. I'm not going to preach it word for word. I'm going to give you a summary of the two cultures. Everybody say culture. Culture is the water you swim in. When you come to church, how many have ever been to a church where they have a vision statement? We have a vision statement. We painted it on a 25-foot wall out in our lobby. Our vision is to be the most loving church in the world. When you come to our conferences, if you ever come to Ruach with your pastor, and we want all you to come to Ruach because we're all family, and when you come, you'll be treated like family. But if you ever come to Ruach, go out in our lobby. On one side of the lobby, it says it in massive words, 30-foot wall. We aspire to be the most loving church in the world. On the other wall, it says we exist to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Now, when you come into churches and churches have a vision statement, many times people are confused when they read the vision statement of the church, but come into the atmosphere of the church. Because the vision statement, see y'all not talking to nobody tonight, but the vision statement often says one thing and the culture shows another. Have you ever been to a church that said we are an international church with a global mandate to preach the gospel? You walk in there, 10 people, all of them the same color, all of them from the same nation, all of them, y'all not talking to nobody. I want you to understand Understand that what we say we are is very different than the culture says we are sometimes. You have to be careful that there is an alignment in your house. Culture. Let me read. I'm just talking here. We're just talking. We're not preaching yet. A culture. Everybody say culture. Culture is a living thing. It happens as the byproduct of consistent behavior. And it influences how we praise, how we worship, what kind of decisions we make. We can talk about what we do and we can talk about what, pardon me, we can talk about what we want to be, but culture is who we actually are and what we actually do. And I want you to understand that culture is a summary. It is a compilation. It is a, it, it is a reflection of the sum total of the people in the room. You will never have a different church culture than the people in the room have. Oh, God, I just said a whole lot right there. You will never have a different culture. Culture is a reflection of what's going on on the inside of us. When I came in tonight and there was freedom and worship and people were on their face and jumping and dancing and speaking in tongues and falling out and nobody praying for them and all kind of glory was all over the room. How is that happening? It is not because we have a cute concept or some neat definition. It is because in that man and in that woman are true worshipers and they invited the presence of, of, of God in the room and other true worshipers have filled the stage and filled the house and if you don't want to worship him you're not going to last long here I don't want to be ill I'm not trying to be critical I'm not trying to put you in a box I'm telling you if you don't know how to welcome him you're not going to fit in a place with leaders who have made up their mind come hell or high water if we don't have anything else we will have the manifest presence of God everybody say culture 
Churches have a culture. This church has a culture. My church has a culture. All the visiting pastors, your church has a culture. It's greater than your vision. Vision is what we state we want to be. Culture is who we really are. Sometimes I walk in the back door of my church and I just stand and observe to make sure we are who we say we are. I ain't getting no help in here tonight. Uh -huh. We say we're the most loving church in the world, but if we got hateful people at the door, if we got hateful people in the pews, somebody needs to be rebuked and get into alignment so that the house reflects a real... And I found out, pastors, I, let me talk to the pastors real quick. I found out you cannot expect what you don't inspect. If you got hateful people on the first impression team, fire them. Put them in the kitchen. Put them somewhere else. Don't put them at the door. Uh huh. Come on in here, somebody. If we want to be an atmosphere of heaven on earth, get people that have a taste of heaven in their heart so that when people encounter them, it ain't no hateful, nasty, mean, malicious mess. We need people who set the house in order with excellence. Touch somebody tell them he's talking to us. He's talking to us. Culture. Culture. And I'm telling you, sometimes nobody gets the pulse on the culture like the apostles of the house some people don't care about it you know they're like oh they've been doing that for 20 years you know we 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 just learn how to put up with them well your visitors haven't your visitors haven't your visitors think they're weird and their breast things put a mint in their mouth come on put some chewing gum on your mouth just do something change that culture. Oh, Y'all can't handle this side of me. I, I'm getting too much at home now. I'm talking like I talk when I'm back in Chattanooga. Say culture. The culture of a room is a product of the culture of the hearts of the people in the room. I remember when God gave me this understanding about critical mass in a room I remember when we started getting momentum and those with us were greater than those that were with religion. <laughs> oh, it's getting tight tonight. Have you ever been in a room and you felt like, if I can just get some more people on my team and help understand where I'm trying to go, we'll get this thing off the ground. And it felt like there were more religious people. I'm talking about when we started. I'm not talking about now. Now I don't care. I just tell people, you know, you, I don't know if this is your place. I don't I remember when I first started at my first church, we had 24, 34 people the first Sunday. I successfully reduced it to 24 people by the second Sunday. And I remember looking out there thinking, these people have no clue. I was 22 years old. This is my 20th year of ministry. Can you believe that? 20 years of pastoring, same church. March, we celebrated that. I remember when we hit critical mass and the room shifted because I got more hunger in the room than I did complacency. I got more fasters and prayers and worshipers in the room than observers. Y'all not talking to nobody. I feel like encouraging someone in this room tonight, especially a pastor, and telling them, tell them, if you just keep holding on, God is going to send reinforcements so that the vision he put in your spirit is actually manifested in the earth. You think that everybody in your church is, 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 is a dead weight and you're wondering, how am I going to get this atmosphere to shift? God's going to do two things. He's going to send you help and he's going to transform people who haven't been transformed in a while. God is about to send a wave of, of revival to houses and shake people out of their religion and people that you thought would never be a part of the move of God are going to be leading what God is about to do in your church. Say culture. 
kind of culture do we have? Is it the kind of culture that attracts God? Because again, God gets to decide where he manifests his presence. And I want to always make sure what I'm doing is honoring and inviting to the Holy Ghost. So the Bible says in the simplest of terms in the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fourth chapter, the 13th verse, he left Nazareth and departed and he went and dwelt in Capernaum. Is the culture you have one he's departing from or one he is dwelling in? I know we don't like to talk about this because I still believe people in the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, they're still going to heaven. I'm not here to talk about their salvation, but there are places that once had glory. They once had manifest glory. And now they have become satisfied with the absence of that glory. And yet they continue to do what they always did, not knowing the oil is not there. And it could be. It's not that God won't come back. It's that they don't understand the culture that they have developed has become a culture that has actually repelled the manifest presence of God. I'm going somewhere. Just hang on. I'm, I'm teaching and it's heavy, but we're going somewhere. I want you to know you get to decide the temperature of the room. You are not just a thermometer that tells the temperature. You are actually a thermostat that decides the temperature. <laughs> How many have one of those things like a nest at your house? You know, you've got that little thermostat thing on the wall and you walk up and I have kids. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to handcuff them because they don't know that every time they drop the temperature a degree, it costs me money. We, we keep the house on 70 degrees. You walk in some days, it's at 66. I'm like, who did this? You know, one of my kids, well, I was a little hot. You was a little hot. Uh, go get a fan. Because when you push that, th that thermostat and you drop it or you get cold and you raise it, every time you do that, it costs you something. And sometimes you make a shift in the degree of your church and it costs you some people. Y'all not talking to me. It costs you some church bosses. It costs you some tithe payers. I'm going to walk around and act like I'm making myself at home tonight. Have you ever made a change in the temperature and some folk got mad with you? Have you ever decided, you know what, I'd rather have him than them? I'd Oh, y'all. I've, I've come to a place in my life where I have said, God, I'm thankful that when them, whoever them is, when they walk off and leave I'm thankful God don't pack his suitcase up and go with him anybody thankful for him thankful that he stayed thankful that he don't leave you thankful that he walks with you all the way through the end I came to tell a pastor and encourage you make the change drop that temperature raise that temperature do whatever you got to do it might cost you something but I want him to show up more than I want them And he goes to Nazareth. Let me get to the text. Mark chapter 6, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, a place he is comfortable with, a place he has predominantly called home, a place where he was raised, a place that he knows like the back of his hand. He comes to Nazareth. And when he comes to Nazareth, he walks into the synagogue, walks in the son of the living God, Walks in the one born of a virgin womb. 
walks in the one who has already walked on water, casted the devil out, raised up the dead, made lame legs to walk, deaf ears to hear, made the mute mouth to speak. He doesn't have a power problem. Touch your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God doesn't have a power problem. I want to make sure you understand that the one who keeps you does not sleep. He does not slumber. We don't have to plug him up and recharge his battery. We don't have to give him a monster drink and get him some energy. He is inexhaustible, which means no matter what he does, I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. No matter what he does and no matter what he pours out, no matter how many people he healed this morning, it's not like he had five in his pocket and he ran out of healing tonight. And if we come back next week, he'll recharge and heal again. Oh, no. Ah, whenever he heals, uh, he doesn't diminish his power. Whenever he delivers, he doesn't exhaust his resources. He is the infallible one. He is the infinite one. He is the one who is omnipotent. Or as the old saint used to say, he is omnipotent, which means he has all power, which means he has all authority. When he walks into the room, he's not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai. He's got strength. He is the God, El poor and he has all glory somebody give him praise and the bible says that this man jesus walked into nazareth the synagogue of nazareth and when he walks in he begins to teach don't miss this matthew 4 said when he came into capernaum he began to preach the kingdom I read it to you tonight. He did not preach the kingdom until he got to Capernaum. I believe he wanted to preach it in Nazareth. But the kingdom will not invade a place. I can tell when a church has been invaded by the kingdom. Because when a church has been invaded, invaded by the kingdom, it feels and looks like heaven on earth. But you can also walk into a place and say, is this a church? I thought they had a sign at the road that said this was a church, but I feel hated up in here. I feel some malice up in here. Uh -huh, there's some, there's some, yeah, they got long hair and they look holy, but their tongue is longer than their hair. They got a gossip problem. They got, oh, y'all not talking to nobody. But I want to tell you right now, the kingdom of God is very different than church. There are a lot of churches who do church well, but there ain't no kingdom. When the kingdom shows up, darkness goes out of business. When the kingdom shows up, the king is in the room. When the kingdom shows up, you don't get a bunch of sick people staying sick and broke people staying broke and hurting people staying hurting. You don't get a bunch of people who are still in their addiction when the kingdom shows up. Oh, God, help me preach because when the kingdom shows up, there is a shift in lives. There is a shift in the atmosphere. There is a shift in behavior. Touch somebody tell them that kingdom, that kingdom. We don't want our kingdom. We want his kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm thankful for the church, but the church is not the end all. The church is a vehicle for the kingdom to manifest. And in order for the kingdom, I'm teaching here. Calm down, Wallace. In order for the kingdom to manifest, in order for the kingdom to manifest, teaching must happen. Jesus established the kingdom on revelation. He would not teach the message of the kingdom in a place that could not handle the king. 
And when I was reading this, I found out why he waited till he got to Capernaum to teach the kingdom. He could not preach the kingdom in Nazareth because they did not honor him as the king. Read your Bible. The Bible said when he came to Nazareth, he came in and started teaching. And a spirit of revelation was on him. And when he started talking, they looked at, don't miss this. They looked at themselves. I'm in Mark chapter 6 in your Bible. They looked at themselves and said, where did he get these things? Isn't that what religious spirits say? Where did they get these things? Who do they think they are? Where did they get this prophesying healing ministry? Who do they think they are? Well, the question is, how much time do you have? The next time a religious Pharisee asks you, who do you think you are? Ask that Pharisee, how much time do you have? I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'm above and I'm not beneath. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm blessed when I came in and I'll be blessed when I go out. I'm blessed in the... How much time do you have? Oh, don't look at me and judge me because of who I used to be. I'm telling you right now, I'm the child of a living king. I'm an heir with God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Who do you think you are? How much time do you have? You need to be able to put the devil out of your mind and under your feet and remind the devil that even on your worst day, greater is he that is in me than the one that is living in this world. He will not teach the kingdom in Nazareth because when he walks in the room and begins to talk, they look at him and say, where did he get these things? Is this not Mary's son, Jose's brother? In other words, they knew him after the flesh. It's called honor and dishonor. We've made honor and dishonor something without understanding the foundation of the word. Honor is to appropriately appraise something. It's an appraisal. How many have ever had something appraised? You have your house appraised, your car appraised, you have something. An appraisal is when someone comes in and looks at something and they deem it worth this amount. If they properly honor your house, then they will appraise it appropriately. But if they give you an, uh, uh, an appraisal that is too low, they have dishonored. That's what the origin, of the origin of the word is. They have dishonored the value of the home. When Jesus walks into the synagogue at Nazareth, Nazareth, everybody say culture. When he walks into this culture where they look at him and they see him as Mary's son and Jose's brother, and when they see him according to the flesh, they have dishonored him. In other words, they appraised him and they said, well, this is interesting. He's got some good words and he's got some authority, but this can't be the Messiah because he, he came from Mary. And But what they did not understand is he was not just Mary's son, he was Yahweh's son. There are people who look at you after the flesh. This is why it is significantly important how you honor your leaders. Every time I talk about this, people get all squeamish because they think, oh, it's going to go to his head. Let me tell you and help you understand something. There are enough demons that, that come against uh, the fivefold. Uh, we don't need Sister Ye Ye or Brother Flip Flop to keep us humble. Well, you know, I am anointed and called to this church to keep my pastor humble. You are not. Sit your hips down and honor and be thankful for the people God has sent to lead you in your spiritual journey. Well, I'm offending everybody tonight. Honor. When Jesus walks into the room, how do you appraise him? 
is he just another being of religion to you? Is he just another figure of God? Is he just another religious guru? Is he like Hare Krishna? Is he like uh, Buddha and Muhammad? And is he like all these other false gods? Or is he appraised high and lifted up? Uh, can you see him for who he is when he walks? Oh, I feel him in the room tonight. Can you appraise him appropriately? Can you honor him for who he is when he walks? into the room is he big enough and awesome enough to you to stop reading through your Twitter feed and to turn your Facebook off your phone and to quit texting everybody I'm not talking to nobody in here unless you need it because when the king walks into the room he is appraised as the high and lofty one of Israel he don't need nobody's help to wake him up in the morning he never went to bed last night there is nobody like him there was nobody above him there's not even anybody beside him he's one of a kind and when you see him in his glory how do you appraise the king how do you appraise the king and, and, and this goes to culture because when he shows up how, most of the time and it didn't happen tonight because this house doesn't do that and I'm so grateful for that but most of the time when I go to places what you have are cultures filled with people who properly appraise him but they get mad when they see people who don't properly appraise him <laughs> so it goes like this so it goes like this worship leaders up here leading worship oh God is in the room praise the Lord they open their eyes and see people like this And the worship leader goes from worshiping Jesus to doing this. Worship the Lord. <laughs> Lift your hands, clap your hands, jump, shout, praise, praise. And what we're trying to do is get people who properly appraise Jesus but are mad because people who did not properly appraise him are sitting in the house. Let me tell you what you have to do when you're in a place and it looks like the people in the room don't give him the proper appraisal. Keep on calling him worthy. Keep on calling him holy. If they help you, keep on doing it. But if they look at you like you lost your mind, keep on jumping. Keep on dancing. Keep on shouting. I refuse to let a Pharisee talk me out of praise. If you were there when he brought me out, I might listen to you. But since you didn't bring me out, you could not possibly understand why I lift my hands and shout because it was God that brought me through. And when I think about who he is and what he done, I have to give him glory. Somebody give him glory right now. sit down. Make me nervous. He comes to Nazareth, begins to teach, and they start dishonoring him. They did not properly appraise him. His value was reduced. On the one hand, he's Mary's son, but they did not see him on the other hand. You know there's two sides of Jesus. On the one hand, he's Mary's son, and he gets thirsty. On the other hand, he's Yahweh's son, and said, I'm the living water. On the one hand, he's Mary's son, and he gets hungry. On the other hand, he's Yahweh's son, and said, uh, he's Yahweh's son, and he said, I, 
I am the bread that came down from God out of heaven. Uh -huh. If you eat from me, you'll never hunger again. On the one hand, he wakes up in the middle of the night and stumbles through the house as a young teenage boy because there's no light in the house. On Yahweh's side, he said, I am the light of the world. Every place I walk into, I light it up because I'm not just Mary's boy. I'm Yahweh's only begotten, full of grace and truth. Grace upon grace he came to give. Who is this king of glory to you? Because your evaluation and your appraisal of him will determine if he comes back and reveals who he can be over and over again. So here he is. He don't have a power problem, Tasha. He's already healed so many people. He comes into a room, begins to teach. They freak out at his words and his authority. And the Bible says some of the saddest words found in all the Bible. He healed a few sick folk. It's the only time in the Bible he healed a few. Read your Bible. In fact, I'm going to blow your mind. It's one of several times in the text where it said Jesus marveled. And it wasn't positive. He, it said, the text says in Mark 6, he marveled at their unbelief. They did not believe he was who the prophet said he was. So he healed a few sick folk. And he left that place. And the Bible never records that he ever returned to Nazareth. Well, you know, I, it don't much matter what I think. I just go to church because, you know, it don't matter. We've got a great preacher and a wonderful pastor. It, don't, it matters what you think about God. A.W. Tozer once said the most important thing about a human being is that they think rightly about God. Because if the majority of people in a room underappraise him and undervalue him, Culture of dishonor sets in. And we get casual with God. And when we get casual with him and don't take his presence as precious and costly, I tell you, he will not pour his pearl before swine. He won't pour his wine in skins that don't want it. I'm not being ill or mean. I'm telling you churches are losing the oil, not because God doesn't want to pour it out, but because they have indicated with dishonor that they don't know how to steward it well. So he leaves Capernaum. Oh, pardon me. He leaves Nazareth, and he comes to a fishing village. I'm almost through here, but I need about 15 more minutes. How many give me three minutes? Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 12. Yes, some of y'all knew that, so y'all like, I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> I'm going to count you anyway. He goes to a fishing village called Capernaum. It's not even a Jewish village. It's a Gentile place. Isn't it funny how God is so longing for a house that will receive him? He went into his own, and his own received him not. <laughs> 
but to as many over in that fishing village as received him to them Gentiles gave he power to become the sons of God aren't you thankful that when one group rejected Jesus we got a chance to say I know who you are I know who you are and I believe that you are more than a guru you are more than a spiritual entity Jesus I put all my eggs in your basket I've got all my hope in you I'm not waiting on another Messiah I'm not waiting on another lamb. I feel like John the Baptist tonight. Behold the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away. I feel like preaching. Oh, I feel like preaching because I don't have just another Messiah. I found the one that has the answer for the cancer. A one that has a cure for the, for the sins and the malady of humanity. We are not looking for a God to save us. We have found the salvation of our soul. I am thankful to report to you tonight that if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer can sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot before God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I'm telling you right now, I found the right one. Anybody know who he is? Anybody glad for the night he rescued you? Can anybody remember what it was like to live in darkness? And now you live in the light. I need to praise God that when I wasn't on your radar, grace put me on his radar. Grace came and rescued me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to Nazareth and gave them every opportunity. And they dishonored him. Can I teach the Bible? So he goes to Capernaum. And when he gets to Capernaum, don't miss this. There was a centurion there. Say centurion. Centurions were historically known as rough characters. They were Roman soldiers, and not just any Roman soldier, but they had uh, they had a pedigree of 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 this malicious, very violent way. They they had this uh, aura and this sort of reputation in the town of not being couth, and and these centurions were were these tough, bad to the bone kind of dudes. And he goes to a Gentile place, and the first piece person to meet him is not Sister Ye Ye and Brother Flip Flop. It's not Deacon Yo-Yo and Elder So-and-So. The first person who meets him when he comes to Capernaum is a Gentile centurion. You would look at the beginning of this story and you would see all of the variables coming together in this equation that would make it almost impossible for God to want to make his headquarters in Capernaum. It's Gentile. It's dark. And the first person to greet me on the first impression team is a centurion. Here comes Jesus. And in the eighth chapter of Matthew's gospel, he comes to this city of Capernaum looking for a place to bring his headquarters. And Nazareth said no. And he comes to Capernaum. I think this is absolutely incredible. When Jesus, verse 5 of Matthew 8, can I teach here for a minute? When Jesus had entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with Jesus saying, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed. He is dreadfully tormented. We don't, even, we don't only have a physical problem, we have a spiritual problem. This man is paralyzed and tormented. How many know there's a devil loose? 
I said, how many know there's a devil loose? It's not just that they have a physical problem. They have a spiritual torment. Why? Because there is no expression of the kingdom in their midst. And the king has not been honored pro properly. And so there has been no revelation of the kingdom in which they could enter into. But something is getting ready to shift in Capernaum. One man who is an unlikely character is getting ready to be used to set the culture. And he comes to Jesus and he said, I got a servant dying and dreadfully tormented. This is cray cray. Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. How many know that's wonderful? It's amazing that Jesus would come to our house. Why would he come to the man's house? Because he knew the man had honor. I told you Jesus chooses the kind of houses he goes to. He said, I'll come to your house because I can tell by the way you pleaded with me. I can tell by the faith you have in me. I can tell because you believe who I am that I said I am. I can tell if I come to your house, I'm going to be able to do what I do and show you what kind of power I have. I will come to your house and heal him. And the man goes cray cray again. And he said, no. You don't have to come to my house. I know who you are. I feel the Lord in the room right now. I know who you are. You are not just Mary's son. You are the one who had a front row seat when he stepped out into the middle of nothing and said, let there be light. And there was light. You are one of the us's who said, let us make man in our image. You are the superintendent of creation. You are in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him that was made and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life and you are the one who has the life and in you is the life and the life is the light of men and I know that the people in Nazareth, you shone the light in that darkness and they didn't comprehend it but I'm glad you came by Capernaum because I need your light in my house. Oh, touch somebody tell them I need his light in my house. You may be able to live without him but the devil is a liar. I don't just need him at church on Sunday when I'm preaching. I need him at the Piggly Wiggly and the Walmart. I need him when I raise my children and drop them off at school. Slap your neighbor tell him I need the light. I found the light. I want to thank God that everyone who rejected him it didn't mean he rejected me. I want him to come to my house. He said, he said, I know who you are. You don't have to come to my house. Because when you say stuff, something happens when you say it in fact I believe your voice is the same one that stepped out into the middle of the Genesis darkness and said let there be light and there was light I believe that he knew that when he said something it had to be how can that be so I'll tell you why because this man had a revelation that Jesus was not just a religious potentate he was not just a religious guru he was the king and when kings speak they don't request anything 
I feel like preaching in this room. When kings speak, they don't request anything. Kings don't say, will you? Kings say, let there be, and it is so. That is why when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb, I see the priest while he's weeping, but I see the king when he starts saying, Lazarus, come forth, because the king never says, oh, will you please let him live? The king makes a decree, and when the king makes a decree, God will hasten the word of the king and bring it to pass. He says, he says, you don't have to come to my house. Speak the word, and my servant will be healed. In, in Nazareth, he marveled. Thank you, Lord. He marveled at their unbelief. But in Mark 6, Matthew 8, pardon me, in Matthew 8, he marveled at the faith of a Gentile centurion the religious crowd blew his mind with their unbelief and the people who had been sitting in darkness blew his mind because in the middle in the middle of all that doubt and unbelief one man said I know who you are and if you say it it shall come to pass in fact this man broke out a Sunday school lesson right there in front of Jesus he said I also am a man of authority and when I say to one go he goes and when I say to one come he comes and when I tell one servant to do it he does it. What the man was telling him is I got a revelation that even your 12 disciples don't understand. I know that whatever you say has to happen. Why? Because the man recognized him as a king. And whenever you appraise him high enough, whoa, I feel him in the room. And whenever you whenever you honor him appropriately, it releases the king to manifest the kingdom. I'm almost done. So watch this. That would be wonderful if that's where it stopped. Because Jesus said, the Bible said he marveled at the man's faith. And then he said, go your way, your servant is healed. How many know that would be incredible if that's where it stopped? Woo, we all be shouting and hanging from the chandeliers. But this man did something to the culture of Capernaum. One man shifted an atmosphere. Are you serious? Yeah, let me show it to you. Matthew 8, come on, go there, go there with me, real quick. Let me just teach this Bible study 101. I'm going to get out your hair, your weave, your extensions, whatever you got. I'm coming, hold on. Your toupee, it don't matter. Work what you got. Work it, work it, work it. Go your way, verse 13, You're, as you have believed, so it will be done for you. You believe I'm the king, and when I say a thing, it's done, so it's done. So the dude goes home, walks in his house, and the servant was healed from the same hour. When God says it, nobody needs to have a committee meeting about it. In the same hour he said it, touch your neighbor, tell him it is done. Lord, if I go down this road, I'm going to preach till the paint rolls up off the wall. Uh, touch your other neighbor and tell him when God says it, it is done. I don't know what you need him to do, but I'm going to tell you, if you ever hear him say it's done, I don't care what kind of devil rises up. What, I don't care what kind of committee rises up against you. It doesn't matter what the people on Facebook and Twitter have to say about it. It don't matter how many haters you have eating hater chips, drinking haterade and hater tots. When God said he is going to do it, God will do it and hair lip every devil. He will shame the devil and make the devil out to be a liar. How many know if God be for you, who can be? Oh, touch your neighbor 
one more time tell them, neighbor, I want to declare over you it's done. That healing is done. That breakthrough, the breakthrough is done. I don't know what you need him to do, but I got a word on it. And if there is a word for it, when God said it, it shall be done. Matthew 8. I didn't feel this good when I started, but I'm feeling good right now. God for the anointing. Watch this. I'm through here. Watch this. He said, go your way as you believe, so will be, and the, so will be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Verse 14. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife, mother, laying, uh, mother-in-law, uh, his wife's mother, lying sick. How many know if you pray for your mother-in-law, you're really saved? Never mind. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. Verse 16, don't miss this. One man changed a culture. How so? I'm glad you asked. Watch this and I'm through. When evening had come, they brought him to, to him many. In Nazareth, it was a few. In Nazareth, it was a few. In Capernaum, there was a whole bunch of them. Many of them. And they were demon-possessed, watch this, and he cast out the spirits. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He ain't ever done this before. Where did he get that idea? With a word, he healed the sick and cast out demons. Where did he get that idea? One centurion who came to him and said, I don't need you to come to my house. My city is going to become your dwelling place. And all you have to do is speak a word. And he said, oh, I'm in that kind of atmosphere. Touch your neighbor, tell him you're in that kind of atmosphere. I'm going to take my seat in a minute, but I want to preach to you tonight that you're in that kind of atmosphere. I don't have to have nobody lay their hands on my head. All i got to have is a word from the Lord, and one word from the Lord will change my situation. Stay standing. I'm through preaching. He shifted an atmosphere with one revelation. He honored the king. And when he honored the king and the servant got healed, everybody in the city knew there was power in the word of the Lord. And when they came to him, worship you. Come on, lift those hands. Come on, lift those hands and just begin to thank him and love him and worship him however you worship him. Just stay right there with for me, Julian, in that, in that vein right there. Just stay in that vein right there for a minute. I just want you to release some thanksgiving and glory. Give glory to the king. Give glory to the king. Come on, I'm going to finish in a minute, but I just I just feel him in the room. I just feel him in the room, and I feel like somebody wants an opportunity to honor him. Honor him. Honor him. You're not just another one. You're, you're, you're like no other. You're holy. You're altogether lovely. You're altogether different. You're the Lamb of God. You're the fairest of 10,000. You're the mom in Gilead. You're the lily in the valley. You're the bride in the morning star. You're the resurrection and the life. You're the way, the truth, the life in you. We live, move, and have our being. You're, you're not just Mary's son, but you're Yahweh's only begotten. We thank you. We thank you that you're the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. You are 
Alpha and Omega, the beginning. You are the end. You are the first and the last. You are the one that was dead but are alive forevermore. And we give you the Mama Shia. Oh, no, 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 Mama, Mama, say. We got no, 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 Mama Shia. Somebody lift your voice on high and begin to give him glory and begin to give him honor and begin to appraise him for the God that he truly is. If you don't do one more thing for me, you've already done enough to show me that there's nobody like you. There's nobody beside you. this massive group of people who come to him because they believe the king is here you don't have to lay your hands on my head all you do have to do father is speak your word one man had a revelation that he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. If you know he's a king, then you know what he said goes. I think there's a lot of people in this generation that we live in who are trying to negotiate some weak, limp-wristed, anemic, passive, squeamish, sissified messiah as if he's sitting in some circle with a bunch of other gods hoping they all recognize him for who he is. Let me help you understand something. The next time he comes back to this earth, you won't see him tied to a whipping post. Mm -mm. Oh no, that happened the first time. But the next time he comes, he'll come unto salvation for the righteous. And I want to tell you, when he opens his mouth next time, he will open it and a sword of his word will come forth out of his mouth. And with it, he will consume the army of the Antichrist. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron, separate the sheep from the goats. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is not some meek little broke down man who needs a, a shot in his uh, in his ego he's the son of the living god and the king of glory i trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of god today once again i want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast it's very important that after you receive the word of god to make sure it gets sealed in your heart i'd like to do that with you i'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the word of god have free course move swiftly in us and it would glorify god you know the word of god is a seed you can expect results out of it. you can expect fruit out of it you can expect something to be produced again i'm so thankful that you joined us now allow me just a moment to pray with you Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may the Lord find great delight in you and may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you and may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.